0: Welcome back to Dirty Chai Chats, the Sex Health Reps podcast all about sexual health, love, and relationships at Tufts. My name's Julia and I am your Sex Health Rep host for this episode. Today we're joined by Audrey, Liani, Alan, and Angel to celebrate Latine Heritage Month and talk about sex, relationships, and Latine identity being here. We are so excited to have you all on Dirty Chai Chats. So the first thing I thought we could do is just introduce yourselves. If you want to share your name, your year, your pronouns, anything else that feels relevant to the conversation today.
1: Hi, my name is Angel. I am a junior. I use the He series and I come from Durham, North Carolina and I am studying computer science.
2: I'm Leonie. I also go by Sunny. I use any pronouns, class of 2024, so junior as well. And I come from Queens, New York, and I'm majoring in race colonialism and diaspora studies and Latin American studies with a minor in film.
3: Hi everyone, my name is Alan. Um, I use the he series pronouns. I am a junior, um, class of 2024, and majoring in community health and minoring in peace and justice studies. And I am from New York as well, and I identify as Dominican American.
4: Hi, I'm Audrey. I use the She series. I'm a junior at Tufts, studying international relations, and
0: I come from Miami, Florida. Well, thank you all so much for being here. So, um, this conversation is just going to be around. Obviously, it is Latina Heritage Month, and uh, we wanted to have a episode dedicated to talking about sex, relationships, gender, all related to being Latina. So. Just the first question that I have to like start off the conversation and sort of get a sense of all of our backgrounds um, is if you're comfortable sharing, can you describe your sex ed experience, if any, that you've had in both school and in your community? And if you have anything to say about it, how did these experiences intersect with your Latina identity?
4: I come from Florida. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's like, I received like no sex ed anything. We had this program that like, like twice a month or something, seniors will come in and they would do like explain about like relationships. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much it. Never yeah. told like how to put on a condom. Yeah, or like how to like prevent disease or anything. Like <laughs> not disease. Uh, yeah, yeah, like it. STIs. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I was pretty blinded.
0: Yeah, I it all.
4: Well, that's probably just a Florida
0: thing. Yeah, I feel like that's a very common experience in the U.S. is, like, at least for like the school system, just having like nothing. But I guess sort of the extension off of that question is like, if you didn't have a sex ed experience in school, how, where do you feel that you got sort of education? If you feel like you got any <laughs> sex education, like from alternatively, was it like within families, like social media?
3: I think. My family definitely avoided the conversation of Mm -hmm. sex Um, when it comes to education. I think, especially as a a man in Latin culture, they expect Mm -hmm. you to already know these things or just like to Mm -hmm. just like get with the program. But outside from school, I received sexual education from Planned Parenthood. Uh, We were lucky to have like star representatives, which were basically like the equivalent to sex health reps at Tufts who would come across the district to different schools Mm -hmm. and like uh, Offer like workshops and sessions where we would go um, and have sex ed workshops and I think those were more inclusive they included more about queer sex and also about just like general safe sex and other forms of birth control and so mm-hmm. many other things so yeah
2: yeah so within my family that was not a conversation I think my mom until very recently didn't think I knew what sex was which <laughs> yeah yeah I kind of had an experience of like going to a public school in Queens and then transferring Mm. to a private school. And it was very different. In our public school, we did have sex education, but you had to get your parents' signature for it. Mm. And it only really covered what are the different parts of the reproductive system, how do you get pregnant, and how people get their periods. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And nothing about, you know, STIs, consent, anything like that, or contraception. And then once I went to private school, it was much more it was much more developed beyond that. Like we did learn how to put on a condom. We did learn about dental dams. We did Mm. talk about consent in a more, you know, involved way. And you didn't have to get your parents permission for that. Mm. So very different.
1: Yeah. In high school. So like I am from Durham, North Carolina, so it's a pretty conservative Mm. state. In high school, I don't know what the law is exactly, but I believe you can't really teach sex ed that well, or like you can only teach abstinence. So what my school tried to do around it is that like the Duke students, Duke is literally in Durham. So what they would do is that Duke students, like during their time where they're supposed to be teaching in classrooms and getting like real life experience, they would hire the Duke students during sex ed week so that the Duke students, these like college students, these like seven, these like 20 year old students come into the high schools. And I went to like a public school. So they came into our schools and they literally taught us for a week and the school chose that week to be during the week of sex ed. So my mm-hmm. school like set them up to essentially teach a bunch of teenagers to teach them like sex ed for their like teaching experience. And I thought it was kind of messed up because it was like just like the most uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Like these people who just got out of high school teaching these high schoolers about sex ed because yeah. the state couldn't teach them anything but abstinence. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like a, a silly situation. But like again, like sex ed was very like about the reproductive system It was about mm-hmm. like heterosexual sexual relations so it wasn't that useful for me because like I'm gay and so Mm. I feel like the most education that I got was from actually having sex which probably isn't the best way but Mm. I feel like it was just like the only thing that was most practical just like you know like an anthropologist is out in the field I too was out in the field (laughs) um, (laughs) learning. you know and so I feel like that's how I learned a lot of what I did and also just like looking up things online. Like, how do I get tested? What is PrEP? What is HIV? All this and all that. So I feel like the Google search bar, going out into the streets and just like curiosity really is how I learned a lot of these things.
0: Yeah, well, thank you all so much for sharing. Definitely like hearing that we all had sort of different experiences. But the general (laughs) consensus is that the public school system and just what we were given as kids was not very much. So really excited to have this space where we can just sort of talk about this stuff and especially how it intersects with the Latina identities. So off the bat for beginning the conversation, there's been a lot of conversation in the media around using the term Latinx as a gender neutral way of expressing Latin American identity but there's also a lot of push for the use of Latina over Latinx so do y'all have thoughts on this or opinions or have heard anything that might be interesting to bring up?
3: Yeah, I think the term Latinx, uh, I started hearing it around middle of the 2010s and it started becoming more popular. To be more gender inclusive and in Spanish classes or even in, like, the community, you've heard that term. And there is pushback from people who are native to Latin America. Family members don't recognize that as an official term versus the evolution into Latine has been something that I've seen as, like, more using the language to be gender inclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Latinx is very Mm English-centered versus Latine having um, an actual accent mark at the end of it allows I'm not only like people who are like Latin American or who are like second generation um, to use it, but also like older generations to use it and understand that that's still part of the language. And it also offers a solution for people who are like, no, our language is the way it is and it can't be gender inclusive. So.
1: Yeah, um, I was in the SEC the other day and I was literally just sitting down with my friend and we were just, you know, we were just gossiping and shit talking. And it was cute. Um, <laughs> and then we were talking about like Latinx versus Latine, like which term to use. And I think we went up to or someone came up to us and was like, oh, like, aren't you guys a part of that club? And we were like, yeah, we're part of this club for like Latinx students. And the person was like, Latinx, like what does that mean? And this person, I believe, is from Latin America. Like they're mm. an international student. And they were like, what does that mean? Like, and so my friend David tried explaining it. I feel like he's much better with his words than I am. Mm. And he was explaining this what Latinx is, and it's like a gender neutral concept that's sort of evolution of Latino into something that's more inclusive. And the guy was kind of like, oh, like that's kind of silly. Like that doesn't really make sense. Like Why are they trying to change it? I mean, there was a lot of pushback. And I feel like this is something that like I can sort of see in my household where like, I'll start using like Latinx or Latinx and then my family, they'll be like, Oh, what does that mean? What is that? Mm. And it puts me in a very uncomfortable situation where like, where these are very important things to talk about. But at the same time, like, like, it's just like a very uncomfortable position to be in because there is sort of homophobia in the mindset that they grew up in. And I feel like it's it's not only a conversation about like using a word, it's a conversation about changing a mindset. Hmm. And so it like puts you in a position where you have to feel the responsibility to change their entire mindset and to go into this full conversation rather than just sort of saying, Oh, it's a general neutral term, it's more inclusive, and having yeah. that be the end of the conversation.
2: Absolutely. I've heard a lot of like conversations about the word as well in terms of like what is the role of Spanish in our identities? Hmm because obviously like it's like kind of a colonial thing to group people based off of a language that not everyone like chose to speak and also like within like Spanish speakers like what weight do we put on two gendered language and whether or not like Latinos or Latinas what is the weight of each gendered kind of word is kind of being discussed as well and like yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of going around in circles, but essentially, like, what weight do we give the Spanish language into our identity, especially mm. since, like, not all of our communities speak Spanish yeah. and has excluded a lot of people based yeah. off of that, so.
1: Like, what you're saying is so true, because I feel like the word Latine or Latinx or Latino, it very much adds this idea that, like, that we're <laughs> all sort of one person or one people. It sort of homogenizes us, even though, like, all of us are so different. And for the past few years, like, for centuries like we've been fighting for a distinction whether it be like indigenous or people who come from African descent or people who come from or who speak different languages and to sort of use this one unifying term sort of implies this like similarity or that like we're all this one yeah. one person when that is sort of the reason why there's so much conflict and, and issues because by like homogenizing all these people yeah. you're sort of taking away a voice from the distinctions of separate groups of people mm. or at least from my understanding
0: Thank you guys so much. I think a really interesting way to look at it really important. following up, like as we know, Latina folks are often hypersexualized or even fetishized, particularly in white centered media. So I wanted to sort of bring that into the conversation talk about where do we feel this fetishization is coming from? what does it look like and how does it show up within the community and also like within society in general?
4: So the first part of your question is talking about like in white spaces mm-hmm. or like, at times, I don't even feel it's particular in white spaces mm-hmm. and also other communities. Like, whether it be, like, other POC communities have this idea of what, well, as my identity, like, as a Latin woman. Mm-hmm. And this idea, like, they, I feel like it's sometimes I've been put in a situation, like, it's this expectation I'm supposed to, like, act to, mm-hmm. to, like, fulfill a certain fantasy they have or a certain idea of, like, what... The role i play in whatever whether it's like an intimate relationship or mm-hmm. like a romantic relationship and so you're yeah. just hyper sexualized and it's like it comes into time like the way you look they expect you like to use spanish in the bedroom <laughs> which yeah. is like yeah. kind of a odd thing to ask of someone mm-hmm. and then also I feel like a conversation that isn't brought up a lot is within the community Mm -hmm. and the fetishization of different countries. Like, Mm -hmm. Colombian women are hyper-sexualized compared to a lot of other countries and, like, the idea of, like... I grew up in a very, like, predominantly Latinx community and there's this old Colombian women are, like, the sexiest and, like, they're submissive and then, let's say, like, Puerto Rican women, they're very, like dominant or very mm. aggressive and it's like categorizing these yeah. women. I don't know like at the end of the day like when I'm thinking about like, romantic relationships I feel more validated with like people who like are in Latinx culture but at the same time there's been instances it's like I don't even feel like safe like within my own community like mm. with some, with a partner in my own community because you have this expectation of like this role I'm supposed to play for you.
2: Yeah I'm Puerto Rican and Colombian so I kind of have seen both of those stereotypes like just be present in everywhere. But I, I think it's interesting because a lot of a lot of the fetishization that Latinx women kind of experience is like the spicy Latina, mm. the crazy mm. Latina and, and that's like, oh that's sexy. That's good for like a sexual experience. Mm. But then it becomes demonized mm. in an actual relationship context when, you know, if a latin woman were to be like passionate it's kind of seen as you know you're toxic or like mm. that's kind of the stereotype that a lot of latin women face like you're crazy yeah, yeah you're crazy and like there's an ex- expectation or a desire for you to be submissive in like that context but crazy in the bedroom mm-hmm. whatever that means which you know you see a lot in interactions with like people who are outside of the community especially but you also see, you know, the Colombian fetishization within the community. Like, there's so many, like, songs where they're like, oh, Colombian women, their accents. Like, Dominican mm. women, their bodies. Or Puerto Rican women, this. Like, in Latin American music, quote unquote. Or, like, mm. it, you know. Like reggaeton. Yeah, reggaeton. Like, you know, Bad Bunny. Like, I love him, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, He has lyrics like that.
3: Yeah, I do think these terms are... are for sure, like, gendered in the sense of having, like, the the fiery Latina or having the macho papi Mm -hmm. and, like, always having, like, those expectations. As a bisexual man, I've encountered this both in queer culture and then also Mm -hmm. in heteronormative relationships in the sense where there's an expectation to be either hyper-masculinized and then also have, like, had in conversations with a lot of women who, within the Latin Latina community, have, like, described feeling, like, used and, I think... Uh, separating from that and, and th- I think there's a difference between like appreciating culture and fetishizing it. And I think that's a conversation that everyone should have when dating. If it comes up, I think someone should be able to approach your culture in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. Um and not in a sexualized way. And if they want to bring it into the bedroom, that I think that's always a conversation that you should have with your partner in a respectful way and be like, Are you comfortable with yeah. this?
4: Yeah. During like intimate relationships is there times where, not that you play into these parts, but, like, mm. you find, like, like, being submissive, like, at times, like, you don't want to play into this part with a certain person outside the community? Because mm. ha- I, well, maybe I'm putting myself on blast. <laughs> I feel like that's happening to me. Sometimes someone, like, outside of my community I'm intimate with, and, like, I times, like, I would enjoy playing, like, being submissive or, like, into this I wouldn't even say a, a part because I, I don't like the idea of like putting myself in that mindset
1: I mean like I think that is a very interesting question because sometimes like I think when I'm in those types of situations I'm like I'll realize like oh yeah like I'm specifically like a Mexican person like how do i avoid these stereotypes and i feel like that sort of permeates a lot of like that sort of adds to the consistent stress that like that i face of like how do i avoid being a stereotype while also like how do i appreciate my culture and i feel like this is something that i've noticed even when like dating people in the community like i remember there's this one person who was latin and i remember like we were just hitting it off and then he just said he said something along the lines of like oh i like your skin color and i was like oh well uh no No, you know it's like i thought i thought we were supposed to be in this together like what happened to solidarity why are you saying this shit now Now i can't even talk to you anymore like i'll just feel uncomfortable and it's like i really thought that it was just like people outside the community but it really does you know sometimes it is like your own people that like shock you the most because it's the most hurtful because it's like i thought because we have this shared identity that you would understand the struggles and, like, why that's wrong. But it puts you, I don't know, it's very uncomfortable because it's like, wow, I thought, like, you would know better. But there still is, like, a lot of education that needs to go on, not only outside the community, but also inside the community in breaking down these fetishizations. Because especially here in, like, America, like, it's something that is so ingrained into like media like like Sophia in Modern Family Mm -hmm. and like all these other like um, Sama Hayek in like any of the movies that she's been in they're always being sexualized and it's very ingrained into American culture and American Mm -hmm. film and American music and even like music that's exported into or imported into America a lot of it is very sexualized and so it sort of is difficult to sort of be conscious about the fetishization, especially at a young age when you're, like, experiencing all of this. From my experience, someone who grew up here, like, it's very hard to separate that and, like, be conscious about the fetishization because it is so ingrained into the American culture and the American idea of what, like, a Latinette person is.
2: Also, you bringing up Sophia and, like, Selma also, like, reminds me of, like, what are the images of, like, sexy Latin women? And it's usually, like, light-skinned women with dark hair and, like, this one particular archetype of latinx people that's not representative of the community and not only like shows like anti-blackness anti like indigenous people within the u.s but also within our own community because like those are also the type of people that get the most you know space within our like own media networks as well Growing up and, like, all these communities like, also comes in, like, the idea of, like, a body type, this
4: expectation of having certain features that are, like, I guess, like, more curvy or more, like, voluptuous, Mm -hmm. and especially these communities, like, you don't have this certain body type. You're not this typical idea of beauty.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's the whole, like, I want a big booty Latina that you see on, like, (laughs) social media, which is often not coming from latinx people (laughs) so that's even like weirder but also within like our communities as well it's like Mm. especially especially like when people talk about caribbean women like Mm. they always talk about you know that specific body type which like gets into a whole other conversation about like how the caribbean community is treated within like the latinx latin american community as a whole but like everywhere else as well this like tropical fantasy you know Mm. they're like Way more in touch with their sexuality, etc. Because mm-hmm. you don't see that stereotype as much with like Argentinian women, mm-hmm. because yeah, anti-blackness specifically. Mm. But
4: I would think that's also like prevalent in Colombia as well. But Colombia like also predominantly. I feel at least well, I, when I've gone, it's like predominantly black.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So coastal so. regions maybe also like because Colombia falls yeah. off the Caribbean, like access like I think mm. like it's still part of that tropical thing. Um, for sure, I, I'm I'm really ashamed that like such a beautiful culture has been become something so sexualized, and I hope that as the growing population becomes more Latina, as like just data and statistics have noted that like we're the largest growing population in um, the United States. Um, I hope that like that culture um, doesn't become more sexualized. I hope it becomes more. Um, part of like everyday life or more normalized instead of being like something where you are looking for a certain archetype.
0: This is all really, really interesting. Thank you so much for just like sharing and being so open. I want to also bring it to the queer community as well, because I know we've talked sort of a lot about like cishet (laughs) experiences, but also like at least for those of you who identify within the LGBTQ community and are comfortable sharing, I'd love to talk about how your queer identity interacts with being Latina or just sort of your knowledge around what being queer and uh, a part of the Latina community means, challenges, or, you know, ways that the Latina community supports the queer community. And yeah, I just sort of want to open that up to that aspect of sexuality as well.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. on a less serious note, I don't want to, like, divert the conversation or anything, but, no. like, back home in Durham, North Carolina, I think the population is, like, 11% Hispanic, um, so already the community is pretty small, mm-hmm. so to imagine, like, a gay, Latine community is almost, like, it's probably, like, five people max, and so I took note of this when I went back home, and, you know, I was perusing, um, mm-hmm. cruising, mm-hmm. and I noticed that, like, a lot of them knew each other, and mm-hmm. so that was very... I don't even know what word to describe like a culture shock like it was very shocking to me to like you know meet someone and then they knew this other person and then I meet them and they they knew each other they they were in a relationship for like two years and they thought about marrying each other and then they broke up with each other because they caught the other cheating like Mm -hmm. and then like all right, trash this, I'm going to meet someone else. So you meet someone else, and then, oh, they also had a history with these two other people. They're actually part of the same friend group. They go clubbing together on Saturdays, and it's just, like, they're all so connected, and I feel like it was, like, you know, on a silly note, like, when I was with someone and we were about to get intimate, and then they start crying about their ex, who we ran into in the club, like, it's kind of, like, I don't know, it's kind of, like, this silly moment of, like, oh, this community is really small, to where, like, I feel like I don't even want to interact with it because like one way or another like it's just gonna lead into mess and I'm here to have fun I'm here at home just to like forget about mess but I feel like on a deeper level that it sort of speaks to how maybe a feeling of like isolation or a feeling of like being pushed out by like specifically like white queer communities because I feel like what I've noticed is that a lot of my queer friends are like people who look like me and not specifically white and so I feel like Thinking about that, trying to relate that back home, I feel like what might have happened is that like, there is such a like love for other people of the same community and to like find other queer people, it's already such a resistance against your own family mm-hmm. where there is so much homophobia and so much machismo that to sort of find other people who have the same sort of uh, or not the same but similar experiences of like toxic masculinity mm. and same cultural values or same cultural experiences you sort of develop like a community with these people almost like a family of these people and and also just being sort of excluded from white career spaces mm. or exclusively white career spaces it sort of creates like this bond amongst the five latine you know, queer people in Durham, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so what I've noticed is just like they have a very tight-knit bond. And I really commend that because like yeah. that's something that I would like to strive for. So, yeah. yeah.
3: I think uh, I wanted to touch upon a few things that Angel mentioned specifically with like being in white queer spaces as a Latina person. Again, with this conversation of fetishization, um, but also lack of understanding of culture mm-hmm. is something that's really been a struggle for me in queer dating in Boston, um, where most of the dating apps do when you set the setting to exclusively queer men, is usually uh, white dominated. And I've attempted, you know, because I was like, well, there's a surplus of white men, so might as well. (laughs) And, uh, you know, dates or intimate situations have not gone well in the sense of where they utilize Spanish language in their sexy talk when they haven't used a lot Spanish language in just talking to you in a regular conversation mm-hmm. or asking certain things about, like, family or other things which are not necessarily appropriate. And so, like, I found myself only, like, exclusively dating BIPOC men to mm-hmm. sort of, like, avoid that issue of facing, like, fetishization or other things like that. And even then, like, when dating by men, I like try to make sure that like there's a cultural understanding on both ends like if they have their own culture that I have a lack of understanding too then that might be a conversation that we have and it could be something that forms a deeper connection and yeah I think as long as you have that respectful conversation things can go well but again there's a lot of issues with that and uh, I also think like toxic masculinity like Angel uh, pointed out is, is something huge so even within like Latina, gay men, like there's like a lot of like self-deprecation or like mm. hatred or something like that because you need to be like this over masculine person. So like if you present feminine or if you express feminine qualities or traits, um, it becomes even more difficult because then you're not this macho Latino papi or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: I don't know. I feel like a lot of queer spaces at Tufts are very white, which, you know, yeah, it's Tufts. Um, (laughs) but it's always interesting because a lot of people like when they interact with you think their queerness is an excuse to say like inappropriate things Mm. to you about your culture or just like not even just about you or your culture but like about things in general sometimes Mm. like oh I'm queer I get a pass I'm like you don't get a pass like you're still racist like (laughs) (laughs) which is definitely very interesting to like kind of navigate and like kind of explain because it's different when you know i'm interacting with like non-queer like cis white men because mm. they're like oh i i know i have power but like you find like a lot of like queer white people just not realizing that they have institutional power mm. which is like a barrier that sometimes people don't want to acknowledge. Mm. I feel like
4: it wasn't until I came to college that I was, like, able to explore Mm. this because, like, growing up, I feel like, you know, from what you said, like, the community is so small, but, like, as a child, like, you don't see those type of families, you don't see those type of relationships, so you're, like, it's just not a normal thing, Mm -hmm. and, like, even the people who were out, like, there's so many creative words that the Spanish language has, (laughs) For gay pe- or queer people. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's like coming into this identity, like, now, like, the idea I have is like everything of myself would be washed away mm-hmm. because of this, like, this identity. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing.
4: Yeah.
2: This is also not really related. Would but it kind of like reminds me, of, like when you said that we don't grow up with seeing those queer families or anything. I have queer people in my family, but it was never acknowledged mm. that they were queer yeah. until I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Like when I was older, I was like, they're not just friends. They're not just roommates. <laughs> like, my roommates. Mo- like my <laughs> mom. <would> be, like my <laughs> mom. My mom would be like, oh, like he's your uncle's friend who lives with him and he just helps out with the kids sometimes I'm like okay okay." but then I was like wait when I was older like I began to realize and I talked with my cousins and I was like why didn't you just tell me that these people in my family were queer like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like obviously like they're out but like you feel like it's an inappropriate topic Mm -hmm. to introduce to me as a young age Mm -hmm. yeah like all my aunts and uncles are gay which is kind of like what like you didn't tell me I'm finding this out as like a 20 year old like oh like my aunt had a girlfriend and like what like I don't know it's just just, like yeah I feel like that's like that kind of like shielding and like kind of like when you're a kid people treat it like it's an inappropriate topic or like that you shouldn't be talking about that which goes back to like sexualization of queer relationships and Mm -hmm. all that stuff but I don't know.
1: Yeah, and to reemphasize on what Audrey said, like I don't know if we're left a name drop, but Kayla told me this story. Um Kayla's one of my friends and she told me the story about how she s- ran into like this queer couple And I think they had, like, a child, and, like, how she started just breaking down, like, crying, because she was just so happy to see a a queer family, probably, like, for one of the first times in her life, and I just remember just hearing the story, and just, like, being filled with so much, like, happiness and, like, empathy, like, oh, my God, like, I can't imagine, like, if I were to see a queer couple, like, already, like, seeing a queer couple is just such a big thing, like, I always make it a big deal, like, look, look, it's a gay couple, it's a gay (laughs) couple, it's a gay couple, even if they don't, even if I don't know if they're a gay couple, just, like, the idea that, like, they could be is just so, like, exciting to me, because it just means that, like, they've made it like they figured it out like there is chance for me to like have a healthy happy cool relationship because already like my family relationship isn't like the healthiest like Mm -hmm. like me and my siblings we have different dads And like my mom she like got like married for the first time and like i grew up with like a lot of like just non-healthy relationships into like Mm -hmm. so like to not only not know what a healthy relationship looks like but to like have to try to figure out what a queer relationship looks like it's just so much pressure and it kind of makes the whole thing scary because it's like I already don't know what it looks like I don't know what a queer relationship looks like I don't know what a healthy relationship looks like how am I supposed to figure that all out and I'm in school and I like I have all these things that I'm doing like sometimes it just like puts me off from like the whole idea of having a relationship but yeah I I really feel your point
3: I guess like the next topic that I wanted to be is like representation. I think we've talked a lot about queer representation and how even then it's so limited and like but when we see it we're like, wow, like that's so amazing. But then like I think back to like the beginning of when queer representation started appearing in media and in TV. And it seems that these are exclusive to white communities, you know, like you don't like it's very rare where you're like, oh like it's accepted like in a Latina community where you're like, ah, oh, a Latina like queer person, thriving Um, and not facing struggle and like Mm -hmm. so that's a possibility for me like but instead that dream was just like oh no like that dream that like queer dream is exclusive to white people and like I try to think of like positive Latina queer representation I think we've gotten some in the past few years but I wanted to ask like how do you feel towards like some Latina queer representation like Love Victor or like Mm -hmm. Callie from Grey's Anatomy or other things like that
2: i haven't watched these um i i did watch glee mm. <laughs> oh, oh yes! santana. Santana. santana our queer representation um I, I don't i don't know what to say more to that but literally one person that yeah. i could think of out of like 20 years of media and like i watch a lot of tv so
3: how do you feel towards the representation of santana
2: I mean she's definitely an archetype and stereotype like she follows that like spicy Latina like you know she's always like I'm from Lima Heights and like I'm gonna beat you up I mean Glee as a as a show in general is (laughs) all based off of like really like problematic archetypes and stereotypes so I'm like not like super high expectations for like the show in general Mm -hmm. in terms of like representation but I was like whoa that's me Which is I don't know I don't know if I should be like that's me to like Santana because you know she's cool we're not gonna get into Glee politics (laughs) we're not gonna get into Glee politics but I feel like especially
4: like like, when I think about fairness I would think like I don't fall into like what like it's supposed to look like or what's supposed to be and like I identify with like a lot of I guess Santana's like reactions or traits Mm -hmm. and I kind of like that like. I know she is this archetype, but, like, this archetype that, like, does come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Does come from, like, these communities. So, like, that she could be herself, but also, like, be queer at the same time.
1: Um, I feel like I also haven't seen these. I saw, like, an episode of Love, Victor, and, like, I just thought it was a little too sugary for me. Mm -hmm. But I feel like what (laughs) I would like to introduce (laughs) is the idea that, like, we are our own representation. Like, I look upon the room, and I see, like... (laughs) Audrey who's gonna be queer representation for the Latinx Center, and Alan who's gonna be queer representation for Tusk and Liani, who's gonna be queer representation for TCU and all the other different organizations that we're a part of. Like to like see these great people, like these are my representation. These are the people that I look up to. And I feel like although we may not be represented in the media, we are represented on campus and it's just a matter of looking. Like I feel like so many of these spaces, like just turn a blind eye to like what representation is or they demonize it and they're like oh like there is no representation this community is lost like it's devastating when like we're right here like we're making change on campus and we're making big things and we're like trying to heal a community that has felt broken many times throughout the course of these past few years that i've been here but i feel like we're right here and we're trying our best to be the representation that we never had
3: oh that's really sweet don't forget about you being queer representation, <laughs> <and solace. laughs> <The> representation <laughs> in Soles. Queer
2: representation in the STEM community <laughs> and to queers.
3: In the dumb
1: girl community.
2: What <laughs> <laughs> is that? It's it's kind of true. Like, there's so many like baddies, tough, <laughs> yeah. You know.
3: I think that was really beautiful, and. I definitely appreciate that like, you know, being your own queer representation is what really matters, you know, you can't get stumbled by like the fact that media doesn't push that agenda. Like you push that agenda. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. I feel like one thing I've been trying to recognize lately, like in the midst of navigating everything, we forget to give ourselves credit, like, on the journey Mm -hmm. of like navigating it. And it's like at us here now we're openly talking about it on a podcast <laughs> yes. that i'm thinking about will be shared <laughs> yeah i'm putting it out into the world
0: now yeah if y'all like have any message you'd like to give to the people listening to this like something that you want to say um to leave people with
1: I would say don't have sex with other tough students. That would be my biggest advice. <laughs> please, please, please. I'm on my knees. Please do not. Do not. <laughs> it's so it's so awkward to run into someone at the CC every day trying to get your sink drink at 8 a.m. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that we met in the single in this one room. And there was an incident. Like, it's just awkward. Uh, I feel like stories spread. And, you know. Try to think of your peers, especially like in such a small community as like family members and nothing else, because mm-hmm. already like our community is so small and has faced so many challenges. It's better to like try to create a family environment than one where you look at people and you're like, maybe that's an option, you know, so that would be my advice. <laughs> yeah.
3: I would say I really am like harking on that on his point that he brought up earlier. Um, be your own representation. Don't let things like fetishization don't let like things like homophobia or toxic masculinity within the latina community dismiss you from reaching that dream or or having that queer romance or that queer fantasy that we all want yeah
2: i guess i would say listen to people Mm. (laughs) when they speak to you and when Mm. they tell you their experience i feel like you can learn a lot from other people and it's not a bad thing to take accountability like we should try to take accountability whenever we can because like that's how healing happens and just trying to pretend that we're perfect all the time is not going to get us where we want to be you know i feel like we've shared a lot people share a lot yeah listen (laughs) (laughs) stop
4: fetishizing bad next (laughs) people
2: and also i think
4: enjoy your time here true like there's times where like you can't enjoy yourself so enjoy yourself as much as you can
0: all right well thank you all so much for having this conversation this was i feel really like grateful to just have like been here and like been in this space with y'all and yeah i'm so excited for everybody to hear this really amazing conversation so thank you so much thank
3: you thank Thank you you for listening to us
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Dirty Chai Chats. Until next time, stay safe and stay sexy.